Welcome to Back to Devi, brought to you by Campus Campus. I'm your host, J. Michael Valerie. This is my co-host, P. Corey, the only host giving you uninterrupted content every week. We are belly deep, belly button deep, oh my gosh, belly button deep in the offseason. Today we are going back in time, taking a look at our prior takes, our prior rankings. We're going to go over what we got wrong, what we got right, improvements we made along the way. And of course, we will be hitting you with the news, portal reactions, two player profiles, and the main part of the show. But first, Corey with the news. Yeah, so we'll head over to the transfer portal first and hit a little bit of an update over there. Um, first, we're going to start with uh, former Texas A&M wide receiver Chris Marshall, who's heading over to Ole Miss um, to uh, be a new weapon there for Jackson Dart, as well as a guy um, that I talked about um, in our uh, our original transfer portal show about a possible G5 to P5 guy in, in Louisiana Tech, Trey Harris. Um, so two guys going over there to give uh, some nice boundary weapons to Jackson Dart. Yeah, Chris Marshall's there going to fill out to be that uh, boundary wide receiver X role. He's a five-star, nine-year, one-zero. Ole Miss has a history of creating really nice uh, assets for wide receiver. Last year, it looked like they just went to being a run-first team, but look towards them going back to being a more diverse offense. Yeah, well, when you got Judkins running the way he was running, it's hard to it's hard to get away from that because damn, he looked good. But heading <laughs> yeah, over even- to. Uh, oh, yeah, they're sorry. Gonna, they're going to give him a little bit of a break, though, and that without Zach Evans. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, Zach Evans didn't like to play anyways. But <laughs> um, <laughs> heading over to TCU, we've got former Alabama wide receiver Jojo Earl, uh, a guy that a lot of people liked last year um, and coming into this year as well. He's going to be bringing some speed over to that offense um, with a, a lot of bodies leaving that room. If he can learn to play inside outside, this is a huge resurgence and stock up for Jojo Earl. I, I just love the spot. I love I loved everything about it. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if he can kind of rebound. Kind of had a bad uh, uh, down year this year, at least. And not really what we were expecting. We we're kind of hoping him to kind of break through in that offense. So we'll see what happens there. Um, we've also got another former Texas A&M running back, uh, LJ Johnson. He's committed to SMU. Very crowded room over there now. Former five-star Kamar Wheaton over there, too. So we'll see how that all shakes out. A step down for him, unfortunately. So maybe losing a little bit of hope there. Um, we've also got former uh, Clemson quarterback DJU finally committing to uh, Oregon State over there. So... I wanted to get your kind of opinion on what you thought of that landing spot for him. Yeah, I think he's a perfect bridge quarterback. We know by midseason that everyone's going to be tired of him. And we'll, uh, give a perfect gateway to a quarterback that we're kind of excited about as a recruit, Aiden Childs. Uh, but no, I thought this was a perfect bridge quarterback. A good get for Oregon State. Um, not much good news for DJU, but you know, whatever. Yeah, he works out as a good as a good bridge quarterback because he's easy to bench somewhere down the line. So he's used to it. So <laughs> um, <laughs> heading over to uh, my team that I call myself a fan of, talk heading over to Georgia, where former Missouri wide receiver Dominic Lovett has um, committed over there. And as much as it's probably going to hurt his raw production stats, I don't think it's the worst idea to put yourself on a national stage like like Georgia does. Um, you know, if he's as good as some people think he is, then he should be able to break through that room. And you know, they don't really have any other wide receivers to feed that offense through it's mostly a, a, a tight end room but there hasn't really been a talent there like Dominic Lovett for for a while I mean Jermaine Burton wasn't really what we thought he was either so I'll be interested to see kind of what happens there with him uh, going to Georgia yeah this is a different style of receiver too usually they have like uh, some prolific x athletic x on the outside they don't really have these uh dynamic slot guys here at this at this offense so this is interesting um for me this is more of just a uh, he wants to just grab the ring which I'm like good for you uh, yeah. But like you said, if if he could like put up numbers here in this offense, then that that would 
be a bigger national stage than what he had in Missouri. So don't don't hate it. Uh, and now this next one, I know that we're both excited about. A lot of the guys at CGC are excited about as well. One of our favorite G5 wide receivers and former Kent State wide receiver, Devontae Walker, finally committed to uh, University of North Carolina, which we actually called on our original Transfer Portal show, by the way. Yes, we did. Um, because uh, I, I guess he's a, a hometown boy there as well. So that kind of worked out for him. But, you know, very excited. Nice boundary weapon there for him. I still kind of wonder who's going to be the guy to replace Downs in the slot there. Um, some people, like in our chat, were, were mentioning Kobe Pesor, but um, I wasn't, I've never been a huge fan of him. You know, maybe it's because of some of those awful testing numbers he has as a recruit. You know, he's got like a four seven plus as a as a prospect really low sh- uh, vert like under 30 inches so i'm not super excited about his profile but we'll see if he can kind of break out over there i mean uh drake may needs a top target but i mean here's just the worst case scenario is that we still have these bowl games and there's still the portal still open so uh, there's been rumors of drake may hitting the portal there's been rumors of him getting a bag somewhere else i don't think we're through the woods yet with the portal so just trying yeah. to throw some water on it. But I am excited if those two end up staying there. No, and like when I mean, we've seen some of these G5 wide receivers that we really like don't exactly always work out. You know, a guy like um who's a guy who from Pitt last year that went to a Mumfield that you not a Mumfield, yeah. yeah, I think that you know <laughs> yeah. didn't really didn't really end up uh, doing anything once he eventually transferred. So hopefully some better things on the horizon for Devontae Walker. Um another running back that we like that didn't exactly work out, former Oregon running back Byron Cardwell is heading over to California. Um I'm not sure if this means anything for Jane Ott at this time or if it's going to be more of a committee. You know, he's a guy that we kind of pointed out struggled against some of the tougher competition on their schedule. And maybe they're hoping Byron kind of step in and, and and fill in some of those tougher games or whatever so maybe they're going to work in a tandem i'm not super excited about the, this landing spot though no and it's not the damper on Jaden not too because any work he takes from Jaden not it's just not it's not a positive no definitely not um and then we're heading over to your alma mater where you finally got yourselves a quarterback and i'm talking yes, about uh former nc state quarterback devin leary so i'll let you talk about this one the one year that kentucky had a fun offense was last year that OC leaves to the Rams. He's coming back this year. We get Devin Leary, a guy that I'm going to speak for everyone at this company and say that we feel is a better passer. We have actual offensive weapons for the first time since I've been alive on Kentucky's mm-hmm. well, uh, Randall Cobb, Randall Cobb. But okay, mm-hmm. but, but besides, besides Randall Cobb, like this is the most exciting offense that Kentucky is going to see, and I'm I'm just ready to get hurt again. Yeah, it's looking like a nice little nice little rebound spot for him there. He's got a nice running back in Ray Davis over there. <laughs> He's got yeah, some yeah. nice some nice wide receiver weapons there in Berrien and uh, and Dane Key. So uh, definitely things are looking up for him there. Um, and one that just happened uh, this morning, I believe, was um, we had former Tennessee running back Justin Williams Thomas um, committed to Stanford. Now this is a guy that we were both pretty high on. Um, kind of bounced around my RB six to RB eight range in my freshman rankings before the season started. Uh, unfortunately, didn't work out as as we had kind of hoped, you know, he couldn't really make a name for himself there. But, you know, Stanford's kind of been struggling at the position for a while, you know, kind of ever since the the McCaffrey love era that they had, you know. And they bring in this new coach from from Sacramento State, which we were talking about a little bit in the Slack today. So I did want to look into them a little bit. Um, I'm going to say that they just recently had the offensive player in the year. Uh, in, in their Big Sky Conference and running back Cameron Scadabo, uh, I think is how you say his name is. He had over 1,700 scrimmage yards. They had a team that ran for over 3,000 yards altogether as well. So this looks like a running back friendly system. So it should bode well for guys like EJ Smith and hopefully Justin Williams Thomas if he can kind of break into it. And I did just want to throw this out there, a little tidbit for C2Cers that um, Cameron Scadabo, the guy there, actually did transfer to Arizona State this year, which lost Daniel Nada, lost... Um, 
uh, Xavier and Valady as well. Could be a sneaky guy to take a look at. Just, just want to throw that out there. Absolutely, yeah. And this coach, too, we don't really know a lot about him. But what we do know is that he took a struggling team in the FCS. I think they're bottom of the barrel to a championship. They won a bunch of games. So it's one of those stories of S- FBI, FCS, bottom of the barrel going to the top. We've seen coaches make a transition like, well, like Kitley, right? Right, where Kitley mm-hmm. came from, FCS. Yeah. So we are seeing some diamonds come out of the FCS level into the college level as far as coaches go. This could be the next story. It could be a really sneaky good hire here. I personally wasn't a fan of EJ Smith, so this will be interesting. Um, I was pretty confused when this first came out, Corey, of how I felt about him. I really wasn't sure, like a stock up, stock down. I was like, I don't really know, man, how I feel about it, but uh, I think I do like this. I, I am, I am excited. My bias kicking in. I'm, I'm ready to get hurt again. Yeah, Tennessee just loves to run that, that multiple back sets over there, especially as long as Josh, Josh Heupel is going to be over there. So this could be a good spot for him to maybe get a big size of that of that uh, of that pie over there, and maybe put a name for himself. Um, another guy that just entered the portal recently, a guy that's kind of a year guy for you. I know you're pretty big on this this quarterback, uh, formerly of Purdue, and that's Brady Allen, uh, who was a true freshman last year. Um, I guess with his coach, with Brom leaving, he's going to Louisville. Some people are putting that connection together if he's maybe going to head over there. I know they've got some interesting recruits coming in as well, though. So um, what's your thoughts on Brady Allen to the portal? Absolutely. I love this. So he was my QB5 in the freshman class coming into the season. That moved to Connor Wegman. I'm going to be real there. So QB6 right now. But if mm-hmm. he follows Jeff Baum, that his passing offensive Aiden, Aiden uh, O'Connell there, uh, Brady Allen's better tools. He has, he has, he's a better prospect. He's a top-tier talent. Going to a system that, well, we hope he's going to a system that we know is proven as an air raid offense. They're going to put up numbers. He's going to have plenty of opportunity to prove himself. And Louisville does have some fun pass catchers. Uh, I forget, I don't even know how to say his name, but uh, AHG. You know Mar- Amari Huggins Bruce or something like that, or Bruce yeah, Huggins. Or something like yeah, that. I'll, never, I'll never forget Felix calling him out like week one, and then he did like one catch for 10 yards. Now, <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, he had like a 28 per, like yard, like a dot, something like that. Uh, Chris Bell, who I know Matt, the yep. receiver guy here at Camp Stan, is a huge fan of, got me on the on the train too. Six foot two, 220, hyper big guy, athlete, was dunking on Travis Hunter, the number one cornerback coming out of high school as a high schooler. Uh, so there's fun pass catching weapons there. It's just wheels up if he goes there. I mean, I'm excited about it. Yeah, and speaking of Travis Hunter, that leads us right into our last two guys that have just recently entered the transfer portal, and that is uh, trans, uh, Travis Hunter, who was a, was a corner slash wide receiver for Jackson State, and Kevin Coleman is a wide receiver over there as well. Um, Travis Hunter has already committed to Colorado, um, heading over there to to team up again with with Deion Sanders Coleman probably headed there as well but not not committed yet um just a reminder that Travis Hunter like you said was the number one cornerback in the class it was kind of a surprise that he went to Jackson State to begin with with Deion but he got the opportunity to play both ways like he wanted to which is I think another reason he's kind of heading there over there as well but if he does ever decide to kind of fully commit to wide receiver we could be looking at something special here yeah, he is an athlete. So we were talking to, with, about him on the Slack with Austin because uh, I really don't know enough about Travis Hunter as a pass-catching weapon. Austin out here was talking about how he's a top-tier level like like athletic talent, like up there with Marvin Harrison Jr. type of talent. Uh, not the same size, but obviously, you know, comparative size. Like, he is a really high-level talent. So I'm excited about that guy. Look at him more. I just did some box score scouting. He was targeted on over 25% of his routes at Jackson State, uh, which, you know, was a small sample size. But he's flashed a lot more than Kevin Coleman has in that smaller sample size. Uh, Kevin Coleman really 
exploded during his championship game, but the rest of the year is pretty just meh production. Uh, but these are both guys that if they both come over to Colorado State, I'm probably ranking it like my tier tier three, probably tier four uh, to start off. Maybe maybe slide and Travis are in the back of my tier two. But uh, this is looking like a really nice young core Colorado. Having Jordan Tyson and those two, again, if Coleman comes over, this could be a really exciting offense early. And with young pass catchers, we're going to be able to follow them for multiple years. No, it's going to be really interesting to see how that whole Deion Sanders project works over there in Colorado and all the attention they're getting over there. So I'm pretty interested to see how that's going to work out. Um, but let's move on to uh, the draft here, and let's talk about some declarations, some guys returning. Um, draft declarations to start with. Um, we've got a BYU quarterback, Jaron Hall, decided to declare for the draft. Now, this is a guy who's going to be a little bit polarizing for some people. He's going to be somewhere around 25 years old, I believe, when he's drafted, so... Uh, definitely going to be an older prospect. Um, we also had Texas running back Roshan Johnson declare, um, which kind of opens up the debate about who's going to start at running back for Texas next year, um, whether it's going to be freshman heartthrob on Blue or the sneaky sleeper in a guy called uh, Jonathan Brooks, I think a junior, going into his junior year there. Do you have any kind of uh, takes on that? I am more of a fan of Jonathan Brooks here. I know that me and you are going to be split on this here, uh, which is okay. We're both individual people. Yeah, uh, They both had their run this year, and one of them was far more efficient than the yeah. other. Uh, Jadon Blue came in. He was supposed to be weighing 200, which was fine for high school, but came in weighing 190. So that's also a concern for me too. So, And we know they're bringing another top-tier talent, Cedric Baxter, behind Jadon Blue. So I'm really worried about Jadon Blue just being – lost in the shuffle, over-recruited, and Jonathan Brooks getting the run for this year, which will make Jonathan Brooks then a a stock up in the Debbie world just just that one year because he can transfer out or go to the draft. And I actually do want to say he's going to his senior year, but I'll, ch- I'll check that. I'll check that. Though. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I, I thought it was junior year. It could have been this junior year. But you know what? Like the, I generally might even agree with you. I think Jonathan Brooks is going to step in with his with, with a lock on the job coming into camp, whether he loses it or whatever happens after that is, is a different story. Like we, we all believe here at CGC that Gian Blue has some talent. We saw it in his high school tape. This was a guy who was under-recruited because of some of the COVID stuff and because of uh, taking his his final year off too, which, which dropped him in rankings a whole bunch. He was very high in the rankings to begin with. I think there's a lot of talent here in Jadon Blue. I'm kind of hoping that he can still break out here and do something. But like you said, there's been a lot of red flags, the lack of playing time, the, the losing weight once he got there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared they're going to pigeonhole him as more of like a complimentary back or something like that, someone that they're just going to sneak in and, and ride Brooks down there. And like you said, Cedric Baxter, that's my early RB1 of this class. It's our, our early yeah. uh, running back one of, of C2C as well. So it's a guy a lot of us like. Um, but moving on here. Um, oh, real quick, we, go ahead. Brooks is going to his third year, not fourth. Third year, yeah. So it is a junior season. Yeah. Okay. Um, heading over to LSU, we have quarterback Jaden Daniels, who decided to return as well. I don't know if Keishon Booty was is happy about that. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if he was hoping that he was going to move on and maybe he was going to get someone else starting him the ball, but I don't necessarily love it for the pass catchers there. You know, they kind of suffered in production wise with him at the helm, a lot more running from him. Um, they really don't have a running back there is, that stood out as well, though. So maybe they put things a little bit together there. I don't know really what to expect from this. I don't I don't love it for Booty, and I don't really love it for, for Jaden Daniels either. Um, we also have another guy returning in Washington wide receiver, Jalen McMillan, um, guy who could have 
probably be up there. Uh, Colin Decker, a guy, a uh, uh, co-founder here at CUC, very high on him. Probably would have ended up a top 10 wide receiver for a lot of people. Um, I think he kind of returned, obviously, because uh, Michael Penix decided to return. So they're kind of running it back. It makes me wonder as well if Romo Dunze is going to return. Um you know, so they can run it back at full strength. Uh, I was kind of excited about a third year guy there by the name of Jay Sean Polk. I remember I mentioned him in the chat a little bit. He showed some flashes here and there. I kind of wanted to see what he could do if he'd become the guy, but it looks like we might have to wait another year to even see him. And by that point, I don't even know if we're interested anymore, but we'll see what Odunze does here and then, uh, and then go from there. But um, that about wraps up the news here on this holiday edition of back to Devi. Um, just want to make sure you guys are keeping it locked on the C2C YouTube channel and the podcast network for everything you need to keep, to know to keep you up to date from recruitment uh coaching changes transfer portal uh, even the nfl and and more i mean everything just, just check it out and you'll be you'll be smarter for it let's get into our player profiles here now we are starting at the top okay so i make jokes in this season that we can't talk about Bijan every single day but we're going to do it today <laughs> our first guy is going to be Bijan, six foot 220 he rushed 258 attempts for 1,580 yards and 18 touchdowns with a 19, 314, and two receiving line. Uh, Corey, you want to start us off on this one? Yeah, I mean, this one, it, it, there's not much analysis to do here, right? I mean, we've been talking about Bijan for three years, and ever since he came in, he was, like, arguably the RB1 already. Uh, he just checks a lot of boxes, you know, whether you want to talk about the size, whether you want to talk about the athleticism, the versatility he has, you, you name it, he's got it. He's a great pass catcher, um, routinely runs routes actually down the field as well. He attacks the ball like a wide receiver as well, took some big hits and held onto the ball as well, not afraid to go over the middle. I mean, it was impressive, some of the receiving stuff he was doing this year. He's got the power. Uh, most yards after contact in the power five this past year. He can make you miss as well. Most forced missed tackles in the power five this year for eligible running backs as well. And the thing that stands out to me more than anything, I think with him is just his natural instinct. It's his natural instincts. It's something I saw in Brees Hall as well. That made me fall in love with him and, and, and might even be a step further with Bijan. You know, he's great at anticipating when a crease is going to open up, uh, understand, understanding when to use his patience, you know, when to shoot through an open gap, um, natural ability to dissect traffic in, in, in trenches and the ability to break off a play and, and create all on his own. You know what I mean? These are all amazing tools in his package that I think is going to make him a stud at the next level. If I had to try and nitpick just to give something to talk about here, you know, um, there is some concern out there with his long speed and I don't think it's an issue. I don't think you should be harping on it as well, but I don't think that you should be surprised if he runs somewhere, you know, four or five and up, you know, this was a guy who, Ran a 4.7740 yard dash as a recruit, which we've seen drastically change for a lot of guys. You know, Saquon Barkley, I think, was somewhere in the 4.77 range as well before burning like a 4.3 at the combine. So uh, technique is a lot of this thing. This could be something he 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 um, gets better at at this level as well. Um, I, I would maybe say there was a little bit of a tiny fumbling dilemma, I guess we can call it not necessarily an issue. Uh, I just wanted to mention that he did have three fumbles this year, two last year as well. Um, a total of six in his three-year career, which really isn't that bad at all. But it's just it's just to say that he's not perfect in every area. Okay, I got to give you guys something to talk about, some something to, to to nitpick or whatever. But all nitpicking aside, this guy is a slam dunk RB one in this class. He's the one point one for me over any quarterback in this class. And I understand the argument for quarterbacks, you know, but especially if my team is close to contending, I feel like Bijan's going to come in have an immediate impact, kind of like Brees Hall had immediate impact coming in to whatever team he goes to, and he's going to immediately make your team a contender. 
I don't want to be lazy, but I'm just going to say ditto for everything that he just said there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just, there's just really nothing to add, dude. Adebo wishes he was as good as this guy. I yeah. mean, you know, so Bijan's great. He's the 101 for us. And, and the reason why, too, is I, I just want to say why he's the 101 over the quarterbacks in Superflex Leagues is because he feels like the most slam dunk pink ever, like in the last like 10 years of football. Uh, yeah. He just feels like he's going to be an instant success. You don't have to worry about a transition period, a gain speed transition period. He's one of those guys that was ready to go probably from the time he got out of high school. If so, I, I will say that if he busts, we're all going to have to go back to the drawing board on what the hell we, we all saw because I don't know. Oh, like, yeah. It's going to be crazy if he busts because I'm on, we're, he's almost a lock at this point. There's no even like all-field issues either. Like That would be no. like the, the Trent Richardson, you know, his family got too involved type of stuff. And it's not yeah. you know, like we don't even have that at all. So, yeah, he's great. So, Bijan's is the 101. Our next guy here, again, we were just trying to get done with the top, which is the holiday season. We're going to talk about <laughs> JSN, six foot one, 200. He was pretty much hurt the entire year. I know he got on the field a little bit here and there, but he wasn't 100%. I don't really care. I'm not holding that to him. And I complained a lot last year of recency bias when he went for like 300 yards on mm-hmm. a backup running back who was forced to play coverage because, you know, the rest of the starters weren't playing. Um, but now here I am saying that people forgot what he was as a talent. He outproduced Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, both guys who are doing extremely well for themselves at the NFL level. He's a possession wide receiver. If you want to complain about his speed, sure. I mean, I can't argue that. But he, he's a possession guy. And NFL teams should know that when drafting him, that he is a guy that's going to be an operator in the middle. It, it just shouldn't come as a surprise. It shouldn't, like, no one should be like, oh man, he ran a slow four or five. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows. It's not a secret. We, we've been knowing this for a while. So he's going to be a really technically refined receiver, great hands, great size. Um, he's going to be a PPR stud for the next 10 years. Yeah, and I really think that there could be a chance that he ends up a nice value in drafts this year. You know, given the year he had, some people are going to hold it against him. He's often injured. He's only a slot guy, blah, blah. But, you know, we don't know those things are really that true. He's he's an incredible talent. You know, one of the things that I really love with JSN, and this is a thing I love in a lot of wide receivers, is his footwork, his very quick feet. You know, which helps him be, you know, de- deceptive through the stem, um, through, deceptive through the top of his routes. Um, he's a very versatile route runner as well. You know, he sells in a variety of routes, which makes him, you know, kind of ideal for getting open out of the slot. And, you know, and we talk about that slot role because that's probably one of the bigger questions people are going to have about him. You know, he's essentially a 90% slot player through his career. Didn't face a lot of press coverage either. So there's some questions about that, you know. Um, you know, but when you look at the way he moves and some of those moves he's busting, during his routes and stuff like that. I think he has the package of skills to have a nice release package. I'm not that concerned about it. Um, But this whole thing, you know, I kind of, I mentioned in the chat today too, and I was kind of seeing some similarities though, but I do compare it to a Monroe St. Brown, formerly of USC a little bit, um, who I actually think shares a lot of similarities with JSN. They got the stout size, um, he's not a burner at all. He ran like a four, six, but he's got burst and quickness. This guy jumped 38 inches, uh, sub seven second, three cone, uh, uh, three cone drill as well. So he had that quickness. We've seen it, you know, uh, going to the NFL level as well. And, you know, like JSN, Amon Ra was essentially a slot wide receiver until his final year at USC, when we finally got to see him move outside and still succeed which is something that I think a lot of us would have liked to see with JSN. But like I was saying, I don't think his package of skills is going to hold him back from playing outside. We've seen guys like, um, uh, what's it, AJ Brown and Justin Jefferson, who were essentially slot guys in college as well, had no problem moving outside when the time came. So, you know, well, I don't necessarily think it's out of his wheelhouse, you know, but I, I, I do think that, you know, there's a chance here that he could just be 
the, a Cooper Cup type role, a Keenan Allen type, you know, even an Amon Ra type. And all these guys have been top 10 wide receivers at one point or another, which in my opinion, bodes well for JSN. You know, I've got him entrenched as a tier one wide receiver, and I'm not going to be booing off of it anytime soon. I'm with you there. The only thing that you have to add to this, though, is that those type of players, I do believe they're landing spot dependent. But again, I think NFL coaches know that. I, I just don't want them going to a, a run first gunslinging offense, you know, like because you won't see JSN getting deep, I don't think, too often. Yeah. But like going to like, you know, Herbert, Jared Goff, uh, I can't remember who else you listed off, but these quarterbacks that, you know, it's volume. And I yeah. think that's what's going to fuel his, his fancy production. And so I, you know, every single year, man, I hope that someone is the heir incumbent to Keenan Allen. So I'm really hoping, <laughs> yeah. man, that JSN goes to, Justin Herbert, because I think that's like the perfect, that's my conference is Keenan Allen. Yeah. And I, I really don't think enough people give enough credit to um, Amon Ra as well, who could actually be the new Keenan Allen of our generation. He's just a little bit more diverse, maybe, than Keenan Allen, a little bit more. You know, they run him out of the backfield a couple times or whatever. But yeah, you know, I, I, I can see him, JSN, succeeding in that role at the next level as well. So I think there's a lot of avenues for him to succeed because I don't think that he is just locked with the slot either. I think he could move outside. So. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what he can do at the next level. And I'm pretty excited for the value he might be coming up in drafts. Yeah, and we'll be talking more about Amara here coming up. Yeah. Which brings us into our main portion of the show. We are here to talk about the past and just what we miss and stuff like that. Now, I do want to get a little bit serious here before we get into it too much. Um, like most in the space, talking about myself personally, I started out by playing a game of fantasy, lost from bad advice that I was listening to, and decided to do my own research. Uh, I am a history major. I actually really enjoy researching. Um, and then I got consumed by it. And then next thing you know, I'm going into college players. And now I'm looking at high school players. I mean, I got so deep into fantasy football that I'm out here just – I might be looking at middle schoolers here next year. I don't even know. It's getting kind of creepy. But <laughs> going to get you a van right away. <laughs> <laughs> You know, hop into this interview real quick. Yeah, yeah. so there's been a Twitter account that's been the source of some drama a few weeks ago here that sparked a debate. Should people be held accountable for their takes? Uh, some called it bullying, targeting. Uh, there's some out there that just give their advice for free, unsolicited. Um, you know, I don't really I didn't really dig too deep into the debate at all. I really wasn't involved. But I will want to give my personal opinion that I want to be the most accurate I can possibly be. I take pride in my work. I want to be um, I want to be viewed as a reliable source. And Corey and I are a part of a brand. Uh, C2C asked us to contribute to them. Now, I want our company to be the best that there is. I want us to be the most accurate. I want people to look at us and be like, yeah, I'm getting a really good return on my investment. I'm going to re-up my subscription for Campus to Canton. Um, so this company has loyal patrons who possibly view membership as an investment for their hobby, that which is fantasy football, which is what this is. Everyone's doing this as a hobby. We're doing this podcast as a hobby. Um, and I just want to be relied on as a good as a good investment. So it's important to acknowledge our losses, celebrate the victories, um, but from those losses to adjust our personal process, analyze what we got wrong, dust our soldiers off, pick ourselves up off the ground, and just move forward. You know, and that's and that's that's kind of what this is about. Now, also, it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of razzle-dazzle. You know, it got a little bit of entertainment here. It doesn't hurt because everybody hated those classes growing up where teachers <laughs> with the monotone voices just read off the screen and it was all boring. So without further ado, we are here to hold ourselves accountable and to run a little bit of victory laps too. Corey, do you have any comment on what I just said? 
Uh, no, I don't. I think you nailed it. You know, I take pride in my work too. I think we want to be right a lot of the time. That's why we do this. You know, we're trying to find the guys and we're trying to help you find the guys that you need to, to put on your roster that have NFL potential, you know, and I take pride in that. And like you said, CGC is a great brand and we want to make sure we're representing the brand properly. All right, Corey, it's time for confessions. Step into the booth. <laughs> you can call me father. Just don't call me daddy. <laughs> let's go back a few years we're gonna go by year talk about our misses uh let's get into it let's start with the 2022 class of running backs we are both pretty adamant on Brees hall our rb1 from last year all throughout the, i mean preseason we were not a part of this of the spiller crowd high five for that mm-hmm. although there were a few others that pushed other players to that point so did you ever consider anybody else for the rb1 position besides Brees hall no and for me i, I never really did and honestly for me it's a little bit different because I've been following Brees for a long time. I drafted him as a freshman in a few Debbie leagues with somebody who I thought had some of the funnest high school tape that I, I can remember. Very versatile and um, was flexed out a lot as well. So I had faith in his pass catching ability, came in with that good size and athleticism that we love to see as well. Um, took over the backfield four games into that season with I, with uh, Iowa state as well, and still hit all the breakout thresholds in his first year. And, you know, he never let up from there. I was essentially calling him my RB one for this class ever since his freshman season. I remember even being ridiculed at one point um, for taking Brees over Bijan in mocks while they were mocked still in college. And ridiculed. Mocked, mocked and ridiculed for taking Brees over Bijan in mocks while they were still in college. Um, and, but I, I don't really think anybody can downplay Brees' impact already. You know, high-end athleticism, which a lot of people didn't think he had as well, um, was really hitting his stride. He was kind of taking the reins after week four here, both running and receiving, had the size, to me, he was the complete package at RB. And if not for the injury, I think he would probably be in contention for a top five pick in Dynasty this year. If not, if not, still is. But with, without the injury, he'd be a lock for it. Actually, in a couple of drafts I did this offseason, he was like an RB5 coming in. So he was kind of yeah. there before it started. But I'm with you there. I never really faltered from him. He was always my RB1. Spiller was my RB2 um, for at least half the year. At least half the year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I was never faltering. I thought Brees Hall was, was a, a complete back. You know, he, he had a really nice subtle dead leg, which is like what I really look for are those subtle movements. Not like an exaggerated one to get a guy fall for it, which is fine. But the ones where they barely lose enough movement and just keep going with the same amount of speed. That's what I really like a lot. And I, that was the one trade I liked a lot. And then once I saw him make like a one-handed grab, like in the end zone, I was just mm-hmm. like, all right, I don't have to worry about his hands the rest of the year. No. This is the one play <laughs> that proves to me that he's got hands. This is a complete back right here. So I was always down for Brees Hall RB1. Um, but we had one guy we both had in our top three entering the season, which was Texas A&M's Isaiah Spiller. He had a great career at the Aggies and was even a high RM1, RB, RB1 for some people, uh, but has had a poor such a career. We're kind of hoping he could push for that Melvin Gordon role in tandem with Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler was definitely on the side pushing to not be the, uh, I want to say like lead back, but he wanted mm-hmm. someone to take some of the workload for him. Like he recognized that his body can't take the full punishment the way that some people can. Uh, so he was definitely advocating for that. Do you think, that this is possibly due to a situation with the Chargers over a, over a team that maybe had a bigger opening like the Texans, or do you think there is something to learn here from aggressively ranking Spiller? Yeah, I think it's possible that for myself, at least looking at my process with it, I think I maybe put too much on the body of work over may, maybe any big flashes that he may have actually shown. You know, we're talking about a guy who started as a freshman 
had a, had a pretty good career against SEC defenses, hit most of the thresholds we like to see. He didn't blow them away, but he was hitting all of them, right? You know, was an early declare. Early on in his career, when you're looking at it, you know, there were some signs there that maybe could have could have given us the red flag to maybe that he wasn't ready for the NFL. You know, he struggled against tougher teams uh, in his freshman season. He also looked a little bit sluggish to me. Then in his second year, I did think he took some steps forward, seemed to have some more burst, better decision-making, kind of performed better against some tougher teams as well. And then his final season, he reverted back to it a little bit. You know, he was struggling against tougher competition again. Uh, 2.7 yards per carry versus Bama. 2.7 yards per carry versus Ole Miss. 2.5 yards per carry versus, versus LSU. So, you know, he he was always kind of a good at everything back, but didn't really have that one trait to hang your hat on. You know, over 900 yards, uh, rushing yards in all three years, but never over 1,100 yards. Uh, always hovered around that 200-yard receiving marker out of his career. So, you know, he, he was just kind of somebody who wasn't blowing anything out of the water, but he was just being good enough. And maybe that was kind of the sign that we needed, you know. And were, would things have been different if you went over to the Texans? Definitely a chance. But it's, but like you were saying in the beginning with Eckler, and now we're even seeing Joshua Kelly getting a little bit more run here, there was an opportunity here to make some noise, and he just failed to do so. Yeah, his PR media team over in the offseason was trying their best to hide that too. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, my, my big uh, flag for me, my mental flag uh, during the season was um, I don't – I'm not I'm – not I predictly grade guys harder when uh they have a a a rb2 with them you know what i'm saying like like devin Ochain, mm-hmm. a thunder and lightning because i feel like they're compensating for a lack of traits that they have not that i need them to hit like you know a chase brown muhammad ibrahim level of volume but the fact that they have these guys so involved in the game plan uh it makes it harder for defenses for one which is which is good offensive scheming you want to have as many like tool weapons as possible but the fact that a, a guy that we thought was going to be an RB one at some point in time in the NFL uh, needs somebody else to get like half the job done uh, was just kind of concerning to me. So, and then, like you said, he struggled against hard defense. So if you're going to split a workload, you have to be really, really good on your half. I don't want to see like things and stuff like that, which might really be nitpicking. But if I follow my own advice more from the start, that's how it would have been. Cause I definitely got lost in the uh, people's analysis. That I trust, in the in the space because they're all saying you know spillers rb1 and rb2 yeah, whatever yeah, and i'm like love out there a lot of love it was, it was hard for me to go against the flow when people that i respected were also like in on on cj uh not cj excuse me isaiah spiller so that was my hang up but i i did have him i want to say i had him at rb2 at some point in time so i i mean i guess i was wrong but i i flexed off it pretty fast i want to say by mid-season end of season for sure i was putting some putting some water on the fire there a little bit now uh we talked about how situation could have played a role here in spiller but it definitely helped a guy like damian pierce who was arguably the most impactful year of any rookie he was definitely the value in in rookie drafts for sure because i mean i think people scooped him up like the mid second and he's I'm not really sure where he ended up, but he might have ended up with a thousand yards rusher. He's right. He's right on the cusp. I think he had like 900 something, but I think he is the most productive rookie running back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So he was definitely the value in the draft. And um, <laughs> I know people were trading like 23 first one. I don't know about that, but <laughs> you were, you were pretty excited if, if you have him on your roster now. Yeah. And this is another guy that actually, believe it or not, I actually had some Debbie shares of this guy as a freshman. They were late round shares. Um, but, you know, I kind of remember um, back in the day that we had just seen a, a guy by the name of Michael Pirine and a guy by the name of Jordan Scarlett 
were having a very good year for for Florida. I figured Damian would kind of be the next to join that group. Damian was actually the number eight running back in, in his recruiting class. And I was always a sucker for guys who came in with good size, which he had. Um, look, at, he kind of looked a little bowling ball with a, with good center of gravity. I always said, you know, uh, you know, at this point now, he kind of reminds me of a mix of like C.J. Anderson and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because he's not as big as C.J. Anderson. You know, he's kind of more and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire kind of has that low center of gravity too, even though he's a little bit smaller. Um, but you know, but but this, this whole thing with Damian Pierce, you know, it, it, it kind of came from that early evaluation, which which is always why it's good to dive into the freshman a little bit and see if anything stands out to you because you never know what's going to happen. This is a guy who never got the full workload. We never got to see what kind of talent he had in college, you know, which kept him essentially off the radar, you know. But this was a guy also who he graded very well at advanced metrics, yards after contact, forced missed tackles. His efficiency stayed pretty high. So even if he wasn't getting that that workload, he was still grading out pretty well. I mean, I think PFF even gave them their number one pff rushing grade i know you don't like that i just thought i'd mention it they they love them in his <laughs> class too for someone who didn't rush uh, didn't uh, have a huge workload um so there was kind of reasons i stayed attached to it even though th- through all the years it's not like i was consistently drafting him in debbie every year if he was available but i will say early on that i liked him as a freshman had three shares on debbie debbie rosters that i was very uh, pleasantly surprised with when they when they came on now just a side note about some of these metrics um They've really brought some guys onto the radar in recent years. I think this this could be a process. I don't know. You have to dig a little bit more into it. But a guy like like Condre Miller <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this year, uh, before this year as well, was very good in a lot of these metrics as well. And then what did happen when he finally got his chance? He blew up as well. You know, um, another guy that I'm sure we're going to be speaking about a lot this offseason. I've mentioned a lot. He's going to be a guy that I'm going to be attaching myself to this offseason. You know, FSU running back Trey Trey Benson, who I'm you know I'm really going to pound the table for this guy. He's also does really well in a lot of these advanced metrics. So, um, I mean, it always starts with the film for me, but these guys popped uh, with these things, and it's nice to see the numbers back it up, and that makes a match made in heaven, really, when the, when the film and the numbers meet. Yeah, I mean, we burn international minutes to talk about Trey Benson, so. Yeah, <laughs> we sure did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, pre- preseason, not preseason, postseason before the draft, I did have Damian Pierce as like an RB16. And, and my issue on film watching him, first off, split backfield, I just talked about how I didn't like that for, for Spiller. Yeah. But um, I saw like the lateral movement. I thought he had really good lateral movement. But I just didn't see the acceleration, the north to south acceleration. So he would create space for him. And then I thought he struggled to capitalize on the space he created. And, and everyone wanted to throw the one play in my face where he like sidestep a guy, lost his helmet and like ran for a touchdown. And, yeah. and then like the whole word, he's a dog, all that stuff. And um, I just couldn't get behind him, man. I just didn't see it. I, I really don't like to split backfield. Um, but NFL draft capital came in. I adjusted my process. I moved him up to my RB6. I want to say it could have been RB5. Actually, I have it up. I'll just pull it up here and tell you what it was. He was my RB6. Nope. Five, five. Sorry, he was my RB five uh, going into my rookie draft, um, but I, I missed out pre-draft, and I, I'm not like hurting myself thinking it's a big miss. He is still a fourth round draft capital guy. This is a huge running back class. The Texans, the Texans mm-hmm. could add a RB two to that roster where he could be like an early down thumper, and then like let's say they take Devin Achain, and then again, then then neither one of them are going to hit a high ceiling. And neither one of them would be an RB two unless one gets hurt, type of thing. So. Uh, it's a miss, but I, I think I think I'll be okay in the end. Now, I might have had missed there, but one guy 
that I was right about. Mm-hmm. I'm out of breath. I'm out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> my inhaler here for Razor Lab. Uh, Tyler Algier, BYU running back. I had him as high as my RB2. I flirted with him and Spiller like midseason before I completely dropped RB2, Spiller. you had him as high as RB2. Wow. Oh, yeah, I did. I was a crazy yeah. positive, though. I couldn't, I couldn't take people on Twitter getting in my face about it. Um, uh, which I don't know if I can consider that really a hit at RB2, but he's been <laughs> successful. He missed on the draft capital, and I definitely knocked him down my rankings for that. He was right behind Damian Pierce for me, but he goes to the perfect system. He goes behind two running backs that were over 30 years old. Like, I mean, come on. They're over 30. Like, let's be real here. So he's finally now coming into his role. He's not going to hit it as a thousand yard rusher by the season ends. I mean, it'd be pretty wild if he did. It's possible, but like, probably not. Mm. Uh, He's going to end up as a mid RB three with upside next year. If he stays, he goes to a system that can't throw the ball. There's no quarterback there. He goes to a coach that uh, just got done calling plays for Derrick Henry for multiple years. He's got the required size. He hit every analytical box here. Now let's talk about the film. Cause this is where I was probably about 35% higher than everybody else in the industry. <laughs> I thought he had really quick feet. I thought he was really good in chaos. Uh, was really good vision. I thought he had better athletics than what he demonstrated at the combine, uh, even though everyone told me that I'm insane. And my bias got to me, man, because he's out here saying that he self-reported a 4-4 time. And so I'm one of those guys that was like, hey, you got a 4-4, so I'm not worried about it. It <laughs> yeah. clearly was not a 4-4, and I felt really, really dumb about it on, on a combine day. And I mean, not too dumb. I wasn't too worried about it. But he he did, which just wasn't a high-level athlete. And there was signs in the tape, too, because he would get hawked down by – by linebackers here and there and DBs. And if you're running a 4-4, you really don't get hawked down by linebackers that go to Idaho because I, I specifically remember the game. But, um, yeah, so this has been a hit for me. I was pretty excited about it. He's he's getting a good return on investment. We talked about Damian Pierce. Uh, Tyler Deere was a very common early third-round uh, rookie pick there, and you got to be pretty happy about how that third-round pick has worked out so far with the upside of a high future, assuming they don't get anyone in this draft. If they don't get anyone in this draft, then that means this job is his. Yeah, and I mean, like you were just saying with Damian Pierce, that he's a fourth-round pick, and we still don't necessarily feel super good about his future. I don't know if I feel super good about Algier's future as well. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I like hated Algier or anything. You know, I thought he was a fine back. Um, you, you mentioned some of the film. I think the only thing that stood out to me was for his size. I wish that he had run with a little bit more power. Um, I thought he was better in a lot of other aspects, but I thought that I'd see a little more power from this game, a little more, a little more leg drive when he's pushing through those short yardage situations. But, you know, I thought his upside was generally what we are seeing today, which is part of a committee. But I mean, the fact that he's the stronger part of a committee right now is probably something I didn't expect out the gate for him. Um, but he was a top 10 back for me in the class. So, um, not somebody I hated, not somebody I was as high on as you, but he's definitely doing well. I don't know if I would definitely classified as a miss for myself but one guy that i do consider a miss for myself is former cincinnati running back jerome ford now with the cleveland browns who looking back now i i talked way too much about this guy i hyped him up i thought i hyped him up way too much okay i was enamored with the guy's profile okay this guy ex alabama back with pedigree former wide receiver in high school so you know he had the receiving chops already was a track guy with excellent numbers and play speed that showed up on the field so i felt like he really put it together in his final year he came into his own as an rb and i and i I expected there was going to be a little bit of transition for him. I so I I gave some leniency to the to the first three years of not really a lot going on for him because I I was thinking he was still kind of learning the position. You know, that lack of playing time at Bama maybe should have been assigned to me, um, or that it took to his final year to really get the playing time. You know, I mean, 
he was drafted to a really poor situation too as well behind two stud running backs in Cleveland, which, you know, and, and he fell to the fourth, which pretty much means that the NFL didn't value him that highly either. So I unfortunately had him as a top five back in this class uh, pre-draft. So uh, I'm going to chalk that one up to a learning experience for myself. I don't want to be too, uh, I don't know, too, too pop culture or whatever, um, but his thighs were skinny. He has skinny legs for a running back. He was a wide and, receiver. Um, <laughs> it was just really concerning for me, though. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I want him to drive with power. Give me those meaty thighs. Bring me them tree trunks. He's got, he's got, he's got shrubs in the desert. Like that's how skinny no. it was. I so. think sometimes as analysts, we go for these guys where the profile looks like it has upside. We haven't seen it. But sometimes you got to take a risk on a guy that you see, you know, if he puts it all together, he's got this. And, and that's the risk. It's a 50-50 proposition that he's going to put it together or he's never going to put it together. And that that might be what's happening to Jerome Ford. I will say, you know, if Hunt moves on, maybe he becomes the RB2 there. I don't know. Maybe there's somewhere down the line where he can make something happen. But the fifth round pick was already kind of a miss for me. So, so I'll chalk that one up for myself. All right. Now let's wrap up RBs. Or I'm sorry, I should say before we wrap up RBs. I just want to point out two names for us that we both end up fairly high on Rashard White. I should say Rashad White. And we both ended up fairly low on James Cook, who we do consider these hits. Um, I'm going to talk about Rashad White first. He was preseason. I was very high on him. Felix is going to act like he was the only one that was high on him. He was like my RB6 going into the season, uh, which was in my opinion, a bold call because we only saw him on 42 carries on a shortened season, you know, yeah. and then it was, and he, was sk- he was super skinny too, right? Or something. He came in with a little bit better size that next year, but he was super skinny yeah. that first year too, right? Yeah, yeah. 190, I believe he came in at mm-hmm. six foot two, 190, which is very skinny for a running back. The all season news was he put on 15 pounds. I saw a, a picture of him in the gym and I was like, he looks like he put on weight. So I'm going to believe that it was 15. I don't know how much, but he looked like he looked bigger. Uh, and then he was sharing a backfield with a five-star running back, you know, Demonte Trainum. Who watching film, I thought Demont Demont Trainum was a um, a thumper, but like you know, didn't have any wiggle, didn't have any lateral movement. His speed was pretty just bland. He was just a man running back to me. I didn't understand why he was a five star. Don't you speak uh, about Trainum that way? He wasn't a five star, by the way. So I'll, so oh, I'll, I'll okay. correct you on that. He was a four star. But don't you talk about <laughs> Trainum that way? We still believe here. <laughs> I just I thought he was so mad. So when I when I watched it too, I was like, Rashad White should win this job. Like he really should. He's dynamic. He's explosive. I understand it's only been 42 carries, but I thought he he showed enough. And he was very clearly a talented pass catching back. Uh, so mm-hmm, put on the weight, and then and then I was right about all that stuff. He he took over the job. Training lost it. I think he might have been injury might have helped that, but it still happened. Uh, and then he went on to the draft, and now he was I think. I think going into the draft, he was like my RB5, and then post-draft, he became on my RB3 uh, behind Kenneth Walker, which I, I think this is a win. I am concerned about his future in the NFL. I, I did tweet out um, in the like right after the NFL draft that only one of these guys has an RB1 ceiling, and that was Brees Hall. Now, that might be wrong like now, but at the time, I was fine with the statement. Uh, so I don't think Rashard White ever had that high ceiling, but I thought he'd have a really safe floor um, and I am worried about when Tom Brady leaves, what that offense is going to look like. I don't have much faith in the coaching there. <laughs> um, and uh, Tom Brady's on his way out, and there is no heir apparent. And uh, we always love those older quarterbacks because they're more willing to dump off the ball, which is what you want for PPR for running backs. Yeah, you know, definitely some questions there about his future, what's going to happen there. You know, Fournette will move on probably – might step into to the starting role, but what kind of what kind of offense is he going to be stepping into, right? So um, this is also, you know, we talk about process a lot here and how we kind of find found found these guys and how to get in early on them. Make sure you know this is another guy where if you were playing C2C, you would have known a lot about Rashad White 
early on. He might've been on some of your rosters, super high efficiency in that, in that 2020 year. Um, looked, looked really good. Um, so it wasn't a big surprise to a lot of people when he did kind of hit his stride in that next year. So, uh, you know, another, another avenue to kind of uncover these guys, you know, is playing C2C and, and seeing them firsthand really early on. So, um, yeah, I feel pretty good about Rashad White as well. I think he finished as my RB4, I want to say. So um, I, I ended up pretty high on him, too. He, he spent some time a little bit lower in my ranks. I had to adjust to him a little bit. Um, this was another guy that you saw a lot of tools. Like I just talked about with Jerome Ford, where you kind of bet on the fact that all these tools were going to work out at the next level. And, you know, I do think going to Tom Brady and maybe because his last name is white, maybe I just saw some, you know, some James white flashes or something like he was going to be the best pass catching weapon for him. Right. So <laughs> right. Uh, I, did, I did like that. I did like that fit. Um, but going on to the other guy over here, talking about James cook. Um, I, we do kind of see him taking a more sizable role down the stretch. You know, he's part of a strong offensive attack with the bills. Um, he's arguably been startable the last couple of weeks. If it came to that, Okay, and so I will say, I'll say it this way. I think we were right to avoid the first round price tag he was creeping up into in the draft season, right? He was end of the first, you know, very early second if you got there, but he was like late first by the end of the draft season. Right? Ridiculous. Some people yeah. in the mid first. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So, that, so I'm going to say we are definitely right on that because I don't think he has that upside. But I will say I think he has a chance to become a usable back. You know, even if the upside is always going to be limited, I will say that he has a chance to become a little back. I had him at, I think, RB9 or 8, I think, by the time everything kind of finished up. So I don't know if I consider that a miss or if I consider that right kind of where I kind of pictured for him or whatever. So, But I do think he might be a usable back on occasion. You know, maybe he's going to be like Devin Singletary has been the last couple of years where you never really fully trust starting him, but he kind of has an upside to go off if he does or whatever. So um, I'm more hopeful about Cook than I was maybe at the beginning of the year. All right, so I'm going to disagree with you there. But I, I definitely was out on him. He was my RB16 pre-NFL draft. I moved him out to my RB5 fully just only because of draft capital. But I, I had him ranked to like maybe like in the mid-second, which means I got no shares, which was fine. So you were even higher than me, and you're disagreeing with me. Oh, geez. You're yeah, just... I just <laughs> I was I was hedging. I was hedging. <laughs> yeah, okay. But if you look at his finishes, he only had three games over 10 points for PPR, and they were three of the last four games, just like you were saying. Uh, he still really hasn't eclipsed over like 43% of snaps. I don't think he ever will. And all that weight he put on for the combine, because he came in at 199, he lost as soon as the combine was done. Mm -hmm. So he's back at 190. He really should convert to a wide receiver. And I, the reason why I don't think his ceiling is going to be that high in the future is because the Bills really need an early down thumper. They can't keep letting Josh Allen, their franchise quarterback, run down the middle as recklessly as he does. So mm. I really do think I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be saying this every single year, by the way, that they need to get a thumper. And I think they're supposed to be getting that. You know, that was Zach Moss's role. And just like James Cook, Zach Moss like lost all his weight. So I don't I don't know. He wasn't the answer. But I'm really hoping that they get a early down thumper in that role. And, and James Cook right now, like was it RB forty five? I don't think he I don't really think he beats that. I, I think if he loses even any of his rushing potential, which is not much right now, uh, I think he falls even further than that. I mean, it, it, there's definitely a chance that that can happen. I just think that where I was at the beginning of the year and maybe where you are at RB16 at the beginning of the year, I think that he's done better than what we maybe expected he was going to do. And 
have more of a role than I actually expected he was going to have, especially rushing. I didn't expect him to be rushing as much than relying on him as a rusher as much. I thought he was going to be like a complimentary pass catcher, like, like Theo Riddick. Like I thought that that was kind of like his role, but he's, he's kind of been, he's kind of done more than that for me. So I got to say that, I, that the upside's better than what I maybe thought it was going to be. Let's go into wide receivers. Now uh, we're talking about 2022 wide receivers. Um, there's a pretty solid consensus in the top three, maybe top four here. Uh, Wilson, Burks, London, Williams. My top four in order were Burks, Wilson, no, Burks, Williams, Wilson, and then London. Uh, but after that is where I got a little dicey. We had Sky Moore as our wide receiver five. You had Sky Moore as your wide receiver five. Oh, my bad. Excuse me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't bring don't bring me into this. <laughs> uh, but we we talked about him. We we both agreed that yeah. he was a one trick pony at the line with the same release package, and then we saw clips of him. I think in camp with the same release package. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so there wasn't really much growth there. Uh, I will say this though, because I I do care about situation. Um, People are going to draw a connection to CEH. I was not a CEH fan. But anyway, uh, Sky Moore here, he he was a three-year wide receiver. He played cornerback all in high school, converted in college. So I was kind of mm-hmm. like he's brought the position, already ultra-talented, was productive against the very few P5 competition he played against. It wasn't really top-end P5 competition. But he exhibited being a route runner. So I thought that would translate. Early declares out of G5, by the way, is so scarce. It's happened twice the last – uh, I want to say 12 years, and it was Devontae Adams. I mean, you can't call him Devontae Adams, but but that was it. It was those two. Devontae Adams had a struggle with uh, adjusting the game speed, and I, I'm not really – I shouldn't be, like, defending Sky more I mean, because <laughs> there really hasn't been any flashes at all whatsoever. There's been there's – been, what do you call the opposite of a flash? We've seen we've seen some poop play Mistakes. out there. Mistakes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. We've seen some really bad play out there. So I don't feel good about his future. If anyone wants to offer a second round pick for him, I am actually going to smash the accept on that. But uh, he was my five because of situation. I thought he could be a possession receiver for the number one quarterback in the NFL, which is a huge, it's a huge plus. We just talked about mm. JSN going to going to um Justin Herbert. I mean, oh my God, I mean, I'm be ecstatic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and, and I didn't think the other pass catchers in that situation were that great. I think Juju was going to bounce back. Obviously, we just watched MVS not be successful with a two-time NFL MVP. So, like, you know, go get that off my board. Yeah. So, I thought I thought Sky Moore had the perfect opportunity to step up. The background that made you feel like he still is, like, just has a really high learning potential. Um, just he had all the variables uh, and, and narratives going his way. And then the only thing on tape I didn't like was – um, his release package, which just, yeah, that's it. So it's, I it, don't know. It was the moves in general. It's a lot of repeated stuff, and I, I mean, so, so for me, I do consider my fading of him a little bit of a win. I think I had him at wide receiver nine or ten, which isn't wow. necessarily a huge fade, but it's wide receiver nine or ten. So it is, it is down there. And to me, it came down to a few things. Right, he was already it's, in a lower competition level, like you talked about. Um, yeah. which is, isn't really a death sentence. And like you said, the early occur, we don't always see that. So there was things to buy into in the profile. Right. But I just thought that there was, there was going to be a little bit to adapt to once you got to the next, the next level, you know, ran a very simple route tree, um, predicated on slants and go routes, which is a lot of the things we talked about. He was a, the slant master over there. Um, I felt like I, we felt like we kept seeing him see the, the same move over and over again in his routes, which just made me feel like NFL caliber players are going to get onto that quick. You know, now I, this is where, 
the package comes into play. And we've talked about this a few times where you kind of got to bet on tools sometimes if you really like them. He had legit foot quickness, had a really good pair of hands down the field, made some really strong catches. So there was a toolbox there, which is why I still had him ranked decently. You know, I wasn't there as a top five wide receiver in the class, but I was there. I also think the KC landing spot probably gave him an unhealthy bump. Uh, you know, uh, going over there and us seeing, you know, there's some room there for something to happen, you know, but now we're oh, even okay. seeing I gotta, I gotta get in here. Cause I, we are doing accountability here before mm-hmm. the KC bump. He was still my wide receiver six. So I, I moved him up one yeah. spot. He was already high beforehand too. So I appreciate that. Honestly, that's good for the people to know. At least like, we, we got to stay vigilant here. And so <laughs> I like that. Um, well, uh, what was I going to say here? Um, I just wrap it up here by saying that, you know, I don't think the book is a completely written here. They did go out and acquire Tony, which doesn't necessarily look good on Sky Moore as well. You know, for a team that's looking for wide receiver options, they went yes. to the outside. They didn't necessarily work on him or whatever. So he's making a few mistakes out there. So the book isn't written, but I'm kind of glad I was fading him at this point. I actually have zero shares because of how high he was going. So uh, at this point, I'm happy with that. I will say this, though. How I am going to adjust my process is that I'm going to become even more of a sizist. Mm-hmm. I annoy I annoy one short king a year, Corey, because everyone always wants to be like, "Oh, this guy is so quick and twitch, you know, and twitchy." I'm like, "Yeah, well, he should for his size. Like, that's what yeah. he's supposed to do." Okay, they have both not worked out. I want you to know it was it was Sky Moore last year who I'm just you know not feeling great about. I I invested yeah. a late first in him, probably early second, um, never any later than that. Anyway, and then like in like Elijah Moore. Anyway. I don't like my receivers sub 5'10". That's what I'm trying to say. And I've been making exceptions for these guys that are 5'9 and a half. I'm going to have to cut the line, man. I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah. No no All squeakers, right. man. Fucking yeah. set that line and that's it. <laughs> the one guy who should have actually stayed at my wide receiver guy, which is where I had him pre-draft before getting swayed by the sexy allure of Kansas City, is George Pickens. George Pickens is um, – special okay look he he is he when people say he's got that dog in him that should be who you're picturing in your head as who yeah. had their dog in them in college football six foot three two hundred super productive as a freshman and then he got hurt now he tore an acl but he's flashed so he you should have felt good that he still had it you know like he's not it's not gone because some of these guys don't bounce back from injuries talking about like justin ross for example uh Running back something like I'm gonna say Marshawn Lloyd. I mean, we don't we don't really know for sure, but I'm feeling pretty confident on that on that call. <laughs> There's just some guys that don't bounce back from injury. Uh, and it was very clear that he did and he flashed enough and he made the call to go to the NFL. And uh, a lot of people he was pretty all over the place. Uh, but I do remember being consistent in saying that he is my RB five. I'm sorry, RB, my gosh, wide receiver five. And I said that out of everybody that's not in the top tier, like not round one wide receivers, he has the highest ceiling. Like he could have ended his career here as the wide receiver run in this group. I still think that's true. Um, I know there's still a lot of people throwing water on that fire, but I am very excited about my George picking shares. Yeah, I also had him as pre-draft wide receiver five. I mean, how when he first burst onto the scene, I was calling him my wide receiver one of this class back in his freshman year, you know. Over uh, Justin did- Ross? Yeah. Class, right? <laughs> yeah, over Justin Ross. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I did move him down uh, as well. Like, like we're talking about the wide receiver five. I think he actually ended up at like wide receiver six for me at post draft, just because there was some off field stuff. There was the ACL injury that you know maybe puts him in. There was some development issues that like maybe he never got to fully develop in college because he never really got a chance to. But the talent was never really a question. Easily the closest thing that I've seen to AJ Green in a Georgia jersey. Um, 
And, you know, we're seeing that freaky body control already and those hands making an impact in the NFL. So uh, I'm with you there. I do think he has some of the highest upside in this class. That's definitely a hit for us that I'm going to say. Um, I did want to say, though, you know, there, there's one guy who routinely spent some time in your in your top 10. And that was that was uh, Khalil Shakir. Now, I'm personally personally not sure if I consider this a hit, but you wrote it down as one. So I'm going to let you state your case here. I don't know if I wrote it down as a hit. I think I wrote it down as a miss. All right, but anyway, did you write I do, that was a miss? No, you wrote that was a hit. If I did, I, I consider it a miss. I do consider oh, it a miss. Okay. And even even more embarrassing, I got to share a story. This is embarrassing. Uh, every service had him as like a fringe day two guy, you know, or higher. I had him as a late second round, early third round grade. Um, but there was one company that didn't, and I remember they posted after the uh, Senior Bowl, and then they're like, "Why this guy is rising up draft boards?" And I I tweeted at him, and I'm like rising up draft boards already everybody already has them up there you're the only ones that don't and then and then you go to the fifth round so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but uh his one his one thing on a film and i think uh i think this might be actually i don't know his one thing was his hands he he body catched a lot um mm-hmm. and he had a really short wingspan which i really care less about but maybe i should because he got fifth round draft capital but uh, he body catched a lot. I thought he was a playmaker with the ball. Like I really thought he was one of the better yak threats, and I thought he was a decent route runner. Like I didn't, I didn't think he was lost or hit off his routes really well. I thought he was, I thought he was above average at every single category that I, I like care about, with the exception of hands. So him not getting this draft capital was surprising to me. Uh, again, it's a G five wide receiver, so you usually got to hedge your bets and kind of rank them lower. Uh, but he does go to the Bills, which I really – this is why I'm not, like, out is because uh, Isaiah McKenzie, is, he's a speedster. He's been disappointing. Uh, he's been mm-hmm. hyped up before in the past. He's 29 years old. I don't really think they spend money to keep him around past his current contract. Then there's Jameson Crowder, who, who I mean, enough said. It's Jameson Crowder. Uh, but they just brought in Cole Beasley here, so that's a little bit of a concern for me. Uh, his one game where he got to step in, he went three catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. So he's someone I still think has the potential to be an impact to these guys that are day three wide receivers, but aren't like instant hits. They do kind of blossom uh, by like more like year three. So I'm not out. Uh, but if anyone is is telling me I'm don't, don't go out and buy them. Don't don't buy them. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely read that wrong. I did scroll down the list. I must have messed that up looking at the notes. You definitely did write that as a miss that he was in your top 10. So at least we got to hear your explanation for it as well anyways. But um, I mean, this guy was my wide receiver uh, 11 or 12, I think, during the year. So I wasn't that low on him either. thought he was a nice contributor, kind of a do-it-all depth piece. Um, guy who did a little bit of everything in college, you know, gadget plays, a little bit of, uh, played a little bit of traditional wide receiver. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he's ever going to blossom into anything. You know, he, he's probably just going to end up more of like a rotational depth piece, if I had to guess. Now, there's one glaring omission from the, our top tens, and that's going to be Christian Watson. Neither one of us were Christian Watson fans. Corey, would you consider this a miss now, or does he still need a little more time to win you over? Yeah, I'm still not sure if he's done enough to win me over, but he's probably exceeding some of my expectations anyways, at least some of them. I think we still see some of the things that we are concerned about. You know, I thought he was a tremendous athlete, thought he was an excellent mover for his size, um, really got in and out of his breaks well for a big guy, but I thought he freelanced his routes a lot. Um, I thought he had trouble tracking the ball occasionally, which we did see in that week one right away. He missed the first deep ball from Aaron Rodgers. So yeah. I was feeling pretty good after that week one already. And I mean, he still isn't doing anything too crazy. You know, they're, they're scheming him open, giving him some rollouts where he's sneaking out under behind the line. 
uh, easy easy ways to get ball in his hands, taking some deep shots, some end around. So uh, I think that's what it's going to be a lot early on for him. The question will be is if he can develop beyond that. I mean, even just last week, we saw uh, Romeo Dubs return, uh, who came back. Fine player in his own right, but he demanded even more attention than Watson did in his first game back after injury. Started the season stronger and had more hype than Watson as well coming in. So I'm not ready to call it a miss yet with Christian Watson. I still think that we need to see a little bit more from him. I'm with you too. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just touchdown production. Do you remember JJ Nelson going on that like six, seven like game run of just touchdowns? Yeah, he, he had 16 touchdowns that year or something. Like I remember, yeah. Just disappeared. But anyway, um, I traded for Adam Thielen, by the way, a lot of places. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's just like he hasn't had more than four catches a game until this past week. It, it, he's just, I've comped him to MVS, which is exactly what he's been, in my opinion, is the MVS role where he's just taking deep shots and he's athletic enough to make up for stuff. So um, I'm not ready to call him a hit. He's wide receiver 41 PPR. It's a rookie year, so you really can't, you can't say it's a bad rookie year. Um, but I, I'm worried about that's just his role. It's a boomer bust role, you know? So uh, I did think on his tape though, uh, this is, this is where I, I'm, I may adjust my process here in the future. His tape from college was like uh, mistiming, bad ball tracking. It seemed like the offense needed to scheme specifically to get him open and give him these easy throws mm-hmm. and, then, and then let him do everything on the ground by himself because he was an insane athlete. Uh, but at the senior bowl, he makes this huge splash. Every single guy on the ground at the senior bowl was raving about him. Uh, I usually don't take too much stock, at least the last two years. I've been really uh, pouring water on the hype of senior bowl wide receivers. Josh Palmer, who was like the hero from two years ago. Yeah. I mean, no one's really excited for him outside of being a wide receiver three for, for Justin Herbert. Um, and then now we got Christian Watson, who I put down as my wide receiver 11, 12, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not ready to call him a win. I'm not ready to call him a miss or a hit. I might just be stubborn though. But if he <laughs> if he does step up next season, then I'll be willing to call us a miss on my part. Overall, though, I think we did a pretty good job with these wide receivers in this class. Collectively fading names like Wando Robinson, who has been hurt, so it's kind of a, a low blow on us. But <laughs> Justin Ross, the Justin Ross crowd, everyone listening here, I'm going to tell you what. If 32 teams pass on a player for 256 straight picks through three days, you can pass on him in your rookie drafts too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if, if he's a UDFA – they're, they never, they're never instant successes. There are some. Adam Thielen, who I just mentioned, was a UDFA. But he didn't hit until like year three, year four. So go ahead and let someone else take him. Let someone else drop him. And then you can scoop him up two years later. Yeah, and, yeah, and he also had the major neck concern, which was like probably the biggest issue of all. That's like I wasn't even sure he was going to even be able to continue his NFL career. And it turns out he wasn't able to. So, I mean. I, I loved, yeah, I love the story. But he didn't even flash. He didn't flash. So anyway, we faded Justin Ross. Good for us. Uh, and then Jalen Tolbert, who awkwardly had some height, though. Now, Corey noticed that I did have Col- Tolbert occasionally in my top 10. This is more probably preseason. Uh, he wants he wants to ask me why I put him there. So, Corey, I'm, I'm going to say this right now. <laughs> it was the size and production. Um, I didn't really get a good look of tape until until uh, like midseason. I probably went on my way to go look at his tape. Um, and then I was kind of like, I, there's just nothing there. There's nothing mm-hmm. special about him. I mean, I love the production numbers for sure. But, like, the routes weren't crisp. Uh, he w- didn't have, like, he wasn't attacking the ball. He wasn't even that aggressive. For somebody his size, 
I really thought I would see a lot more physicality and it just wasn't there. He wasn't boxing out defenders or anything like that. So, um, which like, if you, if you just box score scout, which I occasionally say when I'm looking at players, uh, it, you could have like chalked it up to like, all right, well, it's QB play. You know, it's the G5. It's it's the it was this, the fun belt, whatever it is. It, it, it looked like it was uh, not his fault. But when you watch the tape, you're like, all right, well, this guy's just he's just meh. He's just meh. He can he can he can make an NFL roster and like be on the back end of the roster. But he's not going to be a top three guy for an offense. But he's not even that. He's not even that. He's not even mm-hmm. that. I actually, I, I will say that I, the reason I wanted to ask you this question is because I myself also put him there very early on in the process. I think he was 10 or nine or something very early on. So I wanted to get your opinion on it and kind of see and kind of contrast there about why maybe we both did it, what kind of things we said. And I, this was my reason for it. Okay. I, I put this, I chalk this up as an unfortunate circumstance of playing C2C sometimes. I had a lot of Jalen Tolbert on my college squads and he performed really well for South Alabama. You know, there's a chance that I just became enamored with him because of that. You know, there were, there were a lot of signs that I should probably ignore him was more of a possession wide receiver um, played at South Alabama, but then the senior bowl reports were, were relatively good. Uh, he got drafted in the third as well. And I was like, Hey, maybe I'm not crazy at all for like that, for like that early ranking, you know, but, but, but cooler heads prevailed and he ended up well outside my top 10. I'm not even sure where I ended up finishing ranking him, but uh, I was surprised to see him get the capital. I ended up getting. All right. The last guy I want to talk about in this wide receiver class is my big apology. This is hands down my biggest miss since I've been doing this. It's Chris Olave. Chris Olave, I was a highly known critic because uh, watching his tape, he was given an insane amount of cushion. So I couldn't, one, tell how was how good he was against press coverage. Number two, I did, wasn't confident he was facing like the CB1, 2, or 3 on that defense. And I was pretty confident that CB1 must have been covering JSN or Garrett Wilson, who both looked like better prospects than Chris Olave. And then three, the last two years, he was used as a stretch wide receiver. But his sophomore year, and this is where I was wrong, but sophomore year, he was used as a possession type receiver. Now, I took that as uh, NFL teams tend to uh, use a player as they're used in college, right? So I'm concerned about Chris Olave used as a field stretcher, and therefore I wasn't really that excited about him. So that was my pre-draft analysis that I thought he could be a field stretcher, that he wasn't very good at separating. He didn't offer enough as far as like physicality, which I thought I, I do think that's something you need at the NFL level. You need it less at the college level because of poor tackling and all that other stuff like that. Um, But I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And, and I put so much emphasis on early and late declare, which normally I don't really care about. Uh, But with COVID and uh, you know, just how that's just messed up everything and transfer portal, I think we have to care less about early and late declare. And by we, I'm really talking to myself here. I need to care less. So uh, so Chris Olave is a late declare. He's probably probably the greatest late declare receiver of all time because no one's ever hit besides Mike Williams. That's it. Mike Williams hit, and then some other guy had one like wide receiver 24 season, and that was it. Again, going to my analysis because I care about situation, he goes to a quarterback that sucks. Okay, I don't, I don't understand why. I don't know who it was, Corey, but somebody on like the NFL Network gave their MVP pick as Jamison Williams preseason. I mean, like, I, <laughs> I understand that uh, they're personalities more than they are analysts, but can we get like a healthy medium? <laughs> we get like a little in between there. But anyway, so he goes to a, a system that one doesn't throw the ball that much. 
And two, like Mike, Mike Thomas is back. Michael Thomas is back. He's the guy that's going to operate in the middle. And then they take in Jarvis Landry, who's never hurt. And he plays through injury every single year. But both of those guys fizzle out by like week two. He's the lone survivor. And it doesn't matter if it's low volume when you're the only guy of any talent on that offense. So I was wrong, Chris Olave. I shouldn't. This is where I'm going to adjust. I shouldn't have ignored the profile that he was his sophomore year. I should have recognized him as a versatile asset and not what he was most recently. So I am very sorry for everyone that I told not to take Chris Olave. I'm sorry for uh, ranking him too, too, uh, too, uh, too low. All right, so let's wrap this class up. I just want to comment on some QBs here. I want to talk about the ridiculousness that was this QB class and people calling Malik Wills a top pick. Uh, I really feel bad that NFL teams literally had Matt Corral in the back room thinking he was a day one pick, and then he goes in like round five. So, uh, yes, it was a poor guy. Um, I I constantly tell tell people that I am not a uh, quarterback analyst, which is just totally false. It's incorrect. I am now – I am done with that because I won't ever think that someone like Garrett Wilson – not Garrett Wilson – um, Malik Willis is a day one pick. Malik Wilson, every time he made one really big throw and everyone wanted to hype it up, there was about five terrible throws that you were trying to ask yourself, why, what, what is this? There's a reason he was a G5 quarterback and couldn't succeed at the power five level. So besides his athletic ability, and now for that crowd that wanted to hype him up for his athletic ability, totally understandable. Like, that's fine. That's fine. But for his, like, throwing and everything else, I mean, it's pretty bad. It's up there the with the Will Levis crowd right now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I actually did not like this quarterback class at all very much. Um, I did felt fall a little bit victim to the buzz of Willis, and I will say only for this reason. The reason that he was going to get first-round draft capital and that he was going to get opportunity. And I was starting to feel like an idiot for having him so ranked so low because I was like, if you get first-round capital, he gets opportunity, and he's a running guy. Maybe they're going to build their offense around him, whatever. I have to rank him more appropriately. So I think he did climb as high as my quarterback, two at one time. But thankfully, the NFL made me look smart and smartened up by the time draft time came around because he lowered him all the way down there, or they they uh, took him in round three all the way down there, and I was able to put him where I thought he should have been, which is almost at the bottom half of my ranks. There was a little bit of rushing ability there, you know, if it ever came together. More of a project guy, though, that I don't really think anything could have happened with. I will say, though, unfortunately, despite the size, I was a Matt Corral fan for a long time in the last year. It wasn't as good. I was hoping he didn't take a little bit of a bigger step. And maybe that's kind of the reason he never really took off. He was also a little bit small, a little bit of a gunslinger made some mistakes. So I'm not sure if that's why he fell off so much, but I, I, I really thought early on in the process, you know, his sophomore year, his junior year that I thought he could be quarterback one at one point, to be honest, he had a lot of arm talent and, you know, maybe if, he was healthy. We would have seen him this year with all the quarterback injuries and whatever, you know, maybe he could have made an impact there for the Panthers as well. So I was a little bit wrong on that though. I mean, he did get drafted in, in round three. There was some signs there. Um, but like you said, quarterback evaluation is freaking hard. So uh, it, it's just a tough one, a tough one to swallow because I just, it, it, I saw a lot that I really liked, um, but clearly, you know, there's still a lot to learn about uh, um, analyzing quarterbacks. Uh, I was going to speak for both of us, though. We knew exactly what all these quarterbacks were, and they were not round one talents, with the exception of Kenny Pickett, which we're still not thinking is going to be Still questionable if he was a round one talent, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was kind of seemed like he just had to be because he was the only one left standing. But uh, And I'll also speak for both of us on tight ends for this class. Good job fading them all, Corey. I also faded them with the exception of Trey McBride. So good job. We were right on all those. Yep. 
No, no comment needed. Let's move on. <laughs> let's go back into the now. Let's go back a little further to 21, 2021 class. The reason why I want to go back this far is I, I was a little nervous about saying this. I talked to Corey a little bit about it. Um, some people know, and I want to know that I've only been doing this for two years. Um, when Austin found me, I was doing I was doing NFL draft profiles, just talking about players in their college, and then Austin asked me to contribute for Camp Skin. Boom, here I am. And then he was just like, "Yeah, you're our Debbie guy." And I'm like, "What? What? What is Debbie? I do, I do NFL draft stuff." And I was so offended that he wanted me to to switch up like that. Anyway, but now now I'm all good with that stuff. Obviously, I have my own podcast about it. So, um, I just I just love researching. I love digging. I talked about that earlier. I, I just find myself getting more and more educated the more I, I look into stuff. So. We're going to the 2021 class, um, and we're talking about uh, the top of the top of our rankings here. So, the top of most of our rankings usually included for running backs, Najee, Etienne, and Javante, uh, which has gone well for us so far. But I think the most interesting place to start is RB4, which starts as a big miss for what feels like almost everybody here. And we're talking about Trey Sermon, who some had as their RB1. But anyway, <laughs> Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon was like the default RB4 for everybody. He was the last one to have like workhorse, um, like a profile, draft capital, all that stuff like that. He goes to the 49ers, who are a good rushing team. It just seemed like everything was set in place for Trey Sermon, who blew up late on the scene. I don't have much to say about this. I'm okay with missing on this. I really am. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, you take your chance, you know, going to a Shanahan system. We're always wanting those running backs, right? So I think, you know, there there was reason for ranking him there. I also, unfortunately, had a thing for Sermon, like back in his Oklahoma days. Um, you know, he showed some flashes as a freshman, always remained pretty efficient, looked pretty good catching the ball, but never really got his chance to be that that dude. You know, maybe that was the sign there. Could never really beat out Kennedy Brooks over there, who essentially nothing at the next level as well, and a guy that none of us really liked, right? So maybe right. that should have been our first clue to the whole thing, that there was something else going on there. You know, I think sometimes we like to think coaches are stubborn, and they like to go with the veterans, especially if the veterans aren't doing anything wrong. And Brooks didn't. Brooks played well in the Big 12, but he was just nothing very special, you know. Maybe well, maybe they saw something with Sermon that they, they didn't like. So transfers to OSU, kind of has this, the quiet start to the year, blows up down the stretch, has that 300-yard rushing game in the postseason, ends up a third-round pick in the NFL, the 49ers. We always want those backs. That just sucked me right right in, man, when when that happened. You know, at the end of the day, like, I do look at this, at this landing spot as well. And I also kind of think Sermon was – to finesse for Kyle Shanahan. I think he thought he was getting somebody who would take on a hit and play physical through the line because Sermon had that size and whatever. But if you actually watch Sermon, man, he was the kind of guy that would rather go around you than through you. And, you know, it was probably why it ended up siding, you know, with Elijah Mitchell uh, that year who ran like a man possessed, you know, ended up a little bit injured and dinged up for it, but never shied away from contact despite his size. So, with Trey Sermon, like I just, I think he's on the Eagles practice squad now. So I'm thinking that his chance in the NFL is probably gone at this point, barring some unforeseen circumstances. So, yeah, you're okay with this being a hit, but I never love to see my RB4 that I had uh, not really have a chance in the NFL anymore. Yeah. The one takeaway I would have here from this is to um, focus on, not focus, but to include the coach's scheme into it. Because I do think Kyle Shanghain likes more of the fast, shiftier, speedier guys, which is why mm-hmm. I see like smaller guys. And he just, he just adds CMC to his, his uh, resume there of, of uh, running backs. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought maybe Sermon was a different style of runner. 
than what he yeah, was it, the and it there. almost seemed like they're looking for that for some reason. Like they go with Tyrion Davis Price this this past year, who was a little bit more of a banger as well. So it was like uh, he, I feel like he wants that physical running back who still has speed and whatever. And I think that's why he ended up going with with Mitchell or whatever when he eventually did. But Sermon just wasn't that guy, unfortunately. Right. Uh, now the class didn't give us a ton of studs, but it really gave us some usable death pieces. It was pretty thin, though. I think everyone knew it was thin from the start, with the one positive maybe being Trey Sermon. But the next three for me were Michael Carter, Kenneth Gainwell, and Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, now, can, the the debate was really Michael Carter or Kenny Gainwell, and then like that was like the next tier for everybody. Was that the next tier for you, by the way? Like those two? I had Kenny Gainwell a little bit lower because I was worried about you know. He was at Memphis there, and then he didn't. Um, I had the skinny build as well. I was worried he was going to be more typecasted as a a pass catching back, even though he did have a lot of projection or a lot of uh, production as well in both facets. But um, he was a little bit lower for me. I think he was about RB seven or RB eight for me. So that wasn't the two that I was considering. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so they were yeah. they were my default five and six, and with the knowledge that they were going to be pass catching running backs uh, for me. I never thought Michael Carter was going to be a down the middle type of guy and. Uh, it's clear to me that he's not he's not the guy for the Jets. And that that crowd, I think, should be dying out here this year. Uh, but Ramondre here was my seven, which I don't really feel like that's a hit. I don't. I feel like that's where everybody else had him. Um, and the reason why he was there was that's that's when I got into uh, size. When I started like really analyzing size, he was the one guy that had a prerequisite size. Um, and then I also I work out. I'm a bigger guy. I go through intense military training here and there. Not anymore. By the time I did. And so I understand that when you lose a little bit of weight, it actually makes a world of difference in my athletics. For, for me personally, uh, I'm in the Army, right? I'm 220 on like a regular day. But if I'm going through some sort of special training and stuff like that, and I want to lower my weight, I will lower my weight down to about 207, 208. And my two-mile time goes from like a 16-minute two-mile to like a 13 flat, which is a huge difference for, for 13 pounds. So the fact that Ramondre was reported to lose weight made me feel really good about the increase in his athletics because that was that was a lot of the concern was just that he's slow but like you saw it on table like he had some good footwork he tried to beat guys around the edge when it's like you know he had no business even trying to do that so I, I think he understood the game really well just lacked the athletic ability and then I thought he got that ability by losing weight. Yeah, no, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a hit for that one. I know you're saying you're you're not sure if you'd consider that. I know you had a couple guys in front of him that didn't necessarily do much, but I'm personally I was lower on Ramondre. I really was. You know, I had him at I think RB eleven or ten. Like I was low, um, but I felt he just looked a little sluggish at times on tape. Um, you know, and he did end up running the four six, so there was a little bit of credibility there. But at the same time, he's proving me wrong. I mean, he looks pretty nimble out there. I didn't give enough to the footwork and the nimbleness that he actually has for somebody of his size. And maybe this is a lesson as well that you shouldn't put too much on the testing numbers. Because honestly, once I saw him run the four point six, I thought my priors were confirmed, and I like didn't even like I didn't necessarily look too much harder at it you know what i mean i was like I, he's a slow bigger back i don't he's probably going to be in a committee i don't know about his pass catching ability if it's really there or if he's just kind of a product of the offense or whatever but he has proved me wrong every step of the way so i have to give myself a miss there on that one and give you a win on that one um definitely should have given more attention to the film department in that one for him um but moving on here i do have two guys that i wanted to mention you know give myself a little bit of victory lap too that I, were squarely inside my top 10 uh, RB8 and RB9, and that was Khalil Herbert, who you also had high, but a guy who wasn't in your top 10, that was Elijah Mitchell for me. Um, 
Now, for Her- for Herbert, he was a pure film eval because I get it. This guy was a fifth-year player, late breakout, didn't have a big receiving profile as well. Um, I had almost completely written him off until a friend of mine, a guy I got, uh, that we call Rav, I won't say his actual name, that's his nickname, um, kept saying he thought there was something there and wouldn't leave me alone about it. Okay, so I decided that I need to go dive back in. What I found was somebody who was uh, had incredible instincts, had good vision at the position, really navigated traffic well, good job identifying open lanes. I didn't think he was the most athletic RB, uh, but he did enough to warrant me moving him into the bottom of my top 10, which I'm glad that I did now because he's looked pretty good with the Bears. Um, now with Elijah Mitchell, I was there are some other things going in his favor because he actually broke out as a sophomore, um, but he was kind of skinny. He did stay the full four years at Louisiana. He was splitting time with a guy called Trey Regis, who I also thought was a little bit of a sleeper here. Um, both were sitting in my RB 10 to 15 range for quite a while, but then, you know, looking more further at Elijah had the receiving profile. He had the quickness that bumped him up for me and he played like a bigger back, which is something that we saw in Shanahan that he liked in him was that he played as a bigger back. It's gotten him injured a couple times, unfortunately now, because he, he likes to run into dudes too much and we keep seeing him get injured. So unfortunately I think that's part of the problem here. Um, but he also had really surprising testing four, three, five, 40, 38 inch vert sub seven second, uh, three cone as well. It was all adding up to me as a guy who had some sleeper potential that if you went to the right place, um, you know, like a place like Shan, who was proving doesn't care about the, uh, the draft cap, there's a chance that he, he could break out here. And then, you know, that's kind of exactly what happened in that, in that first year. Yeah. So the Clover, I'll talk about Clover first. His efficiency popped off the page for me. Watching his film, too, you kind of saw it. Uh, Virginia Tech, I think this is like when they were burning to the ground as a program. Like, mm-hmm. This is like, like you know, the end of the run. So I, I, I thought I noticed that. Like, I thought it was like one of those uh, things where he was more efficient than he should have been, and that's what really caught my eye on his tape and his footwork, stuff like that you just said. I thought he was very good given the situation around him. I thought he was beating what was expected of him. Now with Elijah Mitchell, I didn't even look into him, man. I really didn't. I thought Chris Sermon's going there. I was also a Jeff Wilson truther. He just finished up a great four-game run, which won me a ton of championships. So I was like already said, I'm like, look, there's just no room. There's just no room for you, bro. You got to get off the the bus. So so I turned out to be way wrong. So I really didn't even look. I sure didn't look at him. And he was like a little bit smaller too. So I was kind of, I was like 100% like, nope, don't even need to turn on this guy's tape. So, uh, I don't, so I guess that's a miss. It really is a miss, but I, uh, it's very clear that he's not going to ever hit an RB2 season. He did not hit that his freshman year or his rookie year. He finished at RB25. No, but maybe on like a, what about point per game basis? He was probably. Yeah. Yeah. On a point per game basis. Yeah. Okay. He probably tucked it in there. And and we just talked about return on investment. You probably didn't take him that high. He was probably a fourth, third, third, fourth round pick. Yeah, exactly. And that's really the name of the game here. If you got a full year of, of starts out of him, that's probably worth your third round investment. Yeah. So you should consider that a hit, but um, it won't, he wasn't the next Aaron Jones, the way some people are talking about. So, so uh, it's a miss, but it's a small miss. And I'm okay with that. Now, looking back at the wide receiver class, um, if you didn't have Chase as your wide receiver one, I don't know what you were doing. I mean, there's some people out there that were like that. Uh, <laughs> some of the off-field narratives were pretty crazy about him, too. But after that, uh, it's where it got interesting. And uh, the biggest thing that bugs me with the is putting Jalen Waddle in my wide receiver five. This is, this is when I learned uh, to get better sources. <laughs> if you look at my earliest profiles – the ones that I'm tagging all the CSC guys in because I just wanted their opinion about work and stuff like that. 
I had him down as a late declare. I didn't even have him down as an early declare. I thought he was a fourth year player. And then I also took too much in stock injury because I was like, well, I don't know if this guy is, is good. I don't know if he's going to bounce back from his injury. I'm too worried about his injury history. Um, so uh, I missed out like way too much. I think I, I picked up like one or two picks of Waddle, um, but he's he's great. I mean, he's solidified in my top 10 for wide receivers at NFL level. Um, but that those were my two hits on it. And this is this is too when I got into analytics was this wide receiver class. And then I started ignoring film too much. So this is also where I really should have turned on the film for Jalen Waddle here. So this is um, this is when I learned that you need to do more than just highlight tapes. Yeah, and it, it, that's that was really a thing with Waddle. I'm glad you mentioned the film because there was things that he did in his film as a smaller player that made me feel good about his projection to the to the next level. You know, I was all about um, size and athleticism when it came to wide receivers very early on when I was becoming an analyst. But I've definitely become a little bit more open to smaller receivers if the skill is there to back it up. And and to me, Waddle is definitely one of those. He was probably the closest quick titch twitch athlete to Tyreek Hill that I've ever watched. You know, the way he would snap off in his routes, cut on a dime, things like that. He, he was very reminiscent of that. And one of the best things that impressed me was just how physical he was at the catch point for a player of his size. You know, that that was a big thing for me for that size. Was I was like, he plays big and he plays small. He does all of it. You know what I mean? His size is not a factor to him. So his all-around skill set mixed with like the lightning quick speed just made me think that this was like the exact type of player that NFL teams were looking for. You know, this was around the time when everybody was looking for the next Tyree Kill, right? So it's kind of crazy that they ended up together. You know, Tyree Kill and Waddle ended up on the same team and, and they're both still reproductive. Two guys who have really bucked the size trend when you, when you come down to it. So like you were saying, you only anoint one short king or a year. It's just a matter of finding him. This was the short king that year. Oh, he's 5'10". He's not, he's, uh, I guess. He's not yeah. Not 5'9". Yeah. Yeah. But, All right. but, um, fair enough. and their wide receiver coach, Julian Edelman, just saying, but all right. So <laughs> I did think we did a pretty good job at fading names like Kadarius Tony, Donnie Brown, Seth Williams, Tutu, <laughs> Tutu Atwell. <laughs> <laughs> they all had their, their fan clubs, but they're very easy fades for me. Um, and then our biggest collective fade was was Rondo Moore. I think I had him like wide receiver nine, and he was yeah. like one of the best short kings to hang your hat on. I mean, he was ultra athletic. He might be five foot seven, but I mean, he smashed athletic scores, and he was super productive his freshman year. Injury history, sure, um, but those are pretty removed. And uh, I don't know. So we did a good job of fading those guys, and, and I'm just I'm just gonna roll through them all real quick. Kadarius Tony just had too many red flags, like too many red flags. For me to like really like put on anything like analytically red flag on everything uh had some like all field stuff that i didn't really care about it, it's just besides that he had a really good athletic ability and uh it was one of those like well if he learns how to do something he's gonna be a really good player it's like that's really a big if and kind of late to a game to say if he can learn the basics of route running because i feel like he should have done that in college so that was mine for Kadarius tony Diami Brown, uh, I thought he was just a one-trick pony. He's just a go-route guy, caught the ball the same way. I, I remember, again, when I started watching just highlight tapes, it was the same play, every single highlight, every single highlight. And I'm just like, you know, and it was one of those things where I'm like thinking to myself, well, what am I not seeing here? And then that list was pretty fat. So I was kind of like, all right, Diami Brown can go take a seat over there. Uh, Seth Williams can catch the catch guy. Uh, that's when I started like thinking about, well, how good are contested catch guys in the NFL? And I started like looking into it, and I'm like Devontae Parker and his slow transition. So this is like kind of where I started doing my um categorizing certain roles and how roles translate to fantasy. 
Mm. And then there's Tutu Atwell, who who's just super tiny, just whatever. I wasn't cut. No, no not much needed to go into there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he just got the draft capital, which I think is really where so some of those fan clubs are coming out. And of course, very good in college too, which is where that that come up. It's part of that playing in college that sometimes uh, sometimes uh, um, clouds your vision on a prospect. But you know, Rondale was just a weird one. You know, he had the great freshman season, great analytical profile because of that. But when you look closer at that season, you know, he's barely targeted down the field. Um, did most of his damage as a yak and a gadget guy in space. Then spent the next two years battling injury. For me, there was enough red flags there that it was easy to see the reasons to fade him. Of course, there was the athletic ability. That's why both me and you um, ranked him in that in that uh, wide receiver nine range because there was some upside there, and there was some unknown because we hadn't seen it for two years. We don't know if he developed past it or whatever. So it was a fine ranking for him, but some people had him as, as a top five wide receiver, wide receiver four, uh, wide receiver six. So I like our ranking of wide receiver nine. And uh, I think that we did a really good job actually fading this class. Um, there's was, some, go ahead. Oh, I do, I do want to say this on, on Rondo. Uh, the real reason why I faded, not just the real reason, the 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 big thing that made me fade him, because I, I did like some indicators there, was his landing spot. Kyler Murray, he's short. He They're both short. Um, and that's <laughs> – <and I, laughs> And that's that's when I started like thinking about it, and I started studying. Um, I remember Sal was in my original podcast because this is I started talking about this too. Was that short quarterbacks have issues throwing over the field? I'm thinking about like Russell Wilson at the time and uh, Kyler Murray. This is before Jalen Hurts, but they they don't throw in the middle of the field because linemen are so huge. I mean, those guys are huge human beings, and like you're supposed to expect like a, a six foot like quarterback to throw over like six foot five like 350 pound men through the middle. So unless the play breaks down, like it's hard for them to see through the middle. I mean, you have to have a high level of trust to just blindly throw the middle like that for your other short running back or short wide receiver, excuse me. So I, I hated the situation for him. I, I, I don't hate Kyler as a quarterback. I just don't want a short slot receiver for a guy that's already short and can't see over the line. Yeah, and you know those, those are good reasons. Good reasons to fade him overall. I think. I think we, we kind of nailed this group here. There was one guy that I wish I did fade a little bit harder. Um, just to briefly touch on it, just to give myself a little bit of accountability. He was only my wide receiver ten, so it's not like I was in love with him. But Tylen Wallace, I did have in my top ten at one point. I think. I think the learning thing here with Tylen Wallace is that he was a short guy with a weird skills. Not short guy. I don't think he was like super short or anything. But he had a weird skill set for his build. Very physical receiver. Kind of played a prototypical outside wide receiver role. Excelled at the catch point. You know, I really like how he finished off his plays, picking up extra yards. But you know, it wasn't the type of role you expect for a guy his size. You kind of expected someone who's maybe a little more quick twitch, had a little bit more versatility to him, not just a go ball jump guy or whatever you know it's possible that i should have paid more attention to to the lack of separation especially at his size and it's something that i'm trying to pay forward with a guy like marvin mims this year who i think actually kind of has more of a similar skill set than people let on for that so just food for thought um with talon wallace and and relating him to this class I was muted. <laughs> he was my wide receiver at 13. And this more went into placing guys in certain roles and analyzing them in those roles. Uh, so I, I was uh, fine with that. Also hated the landing spot too. So it wasn't like I was tempted by like Kansas City, you know, you know what I'm saying? So you went to a uh, Lamar Jackson, who I do think uh, at the time that running quarterbacks kind of like only can focus on one receiver. They don't really do much as far as like high volume. Like it's not Tom Brady who's going to be throwing for like four or 5,000 yards a season at the time. Tom Brady is probably not the good example anymore, but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I was worried about volume there and I'm like, you know, Mark Andrews is the one there. 
this is this is the year they did they took Rashad Bateman too, right? Yeah, yes, sorry. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't think there was enough there for him to even have his piece of the pie. So I, I really he was one of those just like uh Elijah Mitchell where I was like, I'm not really worried about ranking him too highly because there's just not enough volume to go around. So I wasn't worried about it. Um now uh we're pretty much in sync here on Amon Ross St. Brown, who was a polarizing prospect last year. Uh he went in the fourth round. I gave him a pre-draft, like mid-round two grade. Thought for sure he was going to be locked in there. Um, but he fell. And uh, I didn't really move him that much. I kept him above Devonta Smith, which I like, got mocked and ridiculed um, for saying that I thought he was going to be more productive. Uh, yeah, so Amon Ra here for me was just possession receiver. Uh, his pro day wasn't – we talked about in the Slack today. His pro yeah. day for me was disappointing because his, his dad was uh, – you know, an Olympian, super, super uh, workout guy. Amara is supposed to be also a super hard work ethic, always in the gym. Uh, but wasn't like when you watch him, like you're like, all right, well, this guy is not like muscular and slow. I thought he was like a legit, like superstar athlete, um, which just wasn't true on film. And that that's when I hired to get get to become a better film watcher, was to analyze that type of stuff. Uh, but the pro day was disappointing, but I, I didn't care. I just didn't care about it, so I kept him up there. Yeah, I, I will disagree with that a little bit because I think for one of the things I look for in wide receivers first, before I even look at the 40 time, is I look for burst, which I, I, I attribute to you know the the drills like vert, the drills like um, broad jump, the, the drills like three cone. All things that Amon Ra really actually did pretty well, and he was sub seven sec second uh, three cone, uh, thirty eight inch vertical. So I, I saw the burst there, and I think you do see a little bit of the burst. I, mean, I really do love this guy. He was a high school sweetheart for me in a sense. Loved his high school tape. Very technically advanced player coming out of high school. Um, you know, was going to USC with his high school quarterback JT Daniels at the time, and I was all in. I was like, this is gonna be awesome. Like, this is gonna he's gonna like win the freaking Heisman, man. Like, <laughs> which obviously was gonna fucking. Happen. We're talking about now for like Malachi Nelson and uh, Makai Lemon who went to high yeah. school. Anyway, I'm yeah, not exactly. Going to USC, yeah, but, yeah. But I, I I actually had a Monroe early before the 2021 season even started. So preseason, I had him as wide receiver three heading into the year. Um, ended up at wide receiver five by the time the process finished, which I think is still a pretty pretty good ranking for him. I did have Devontae Smith one spot ahead of him, so he did beat me there. I still think they're both pretty good players regardless, though. I think I think either way, that's a hit. Um, but I definitely think he was worth more than his fourth-round price tag, and I think he's already proving that in the NFL. Yeah, I am going to say this because, again, this is an accountability episode. I did like after his fresh his uh, rookie year, I was saying to sell him. Like I really was. Like I'm just kind of like he's a fourth round player. Like he's going to get overdrafted, which Jamo did get drafted in. A lot um, of people were. A lot of people were. Yeah. So I did not get the bang for my buck in a few leagues, but um, I wasn't selling him cheap. I was selling him for like a first. Like that was the minimum. But he's definitely worth like more than that now. So I'm wrong for that. But my initial analysis was was spot on. I really thought he was a ten, a, a good technician. You know, uh, yep. low level athleticism, but he's definitely shattered my expectations of what he was. Even though I called him out as like a, as a hit, like I was like, yeah, this guy's gonna be great. Yeah, <laughs> been way greater than I thought he was gonna be. Uh, now I got two interesting names here. I wanted to touch base on. That's Rashad Bateman, who was my wide receiver four, and then Elijah Moore, who was actually my wide receiver two. Another short king here, uh, but. I want to see where you got where uh, where we think where these guys are at and where do you have them ranked and do you consider them either a hit or a miss? 
Yeah, so I actually like Bateman quite a bit. And you actually wrote Bateman under your misses, which I kind of wanted to get your opinion on and see why you thought it was yeah. a miss. He was, he was my wide receiver three coming into the class. We talked about this before with the quick feet and the receivers. Bateman definitely has some sweet feet. Okay, I love the deception in his routes, his release package, um, the footwork in and out of breaks. He was almost reminiscent, and this is lofty, okay, but the footwork, the just the footwork of Stefan Diggs at times, who's made a killing off of having those sweet feet right now. Um, he's a versatile player, played inside and out uh, as well through his career. So I just think he had a lot of upside. I just think that the situation he was drafted into isn't the greatest. It's a low-volume passing attack in Baltimore. Lamar really doesn't have eyes for the wideouts at times, like you were mentioning before. He loves his Mark Andrews, loves the tight ends, runs a lot himself as well. So... He's still uh, Bateman still ended up a first round pick has performed pretty well when given the opportunity. So I think that this is trending in a hit. I just think that the situation isn't the greatest. Um, now to go over to, to more, I'm not sure what the, what is really going on with him. I did end up a little bit lower on him in my, in my rankings, very high for you at wide receiver two. He was my wide receiver seven and there was nothing really glaringly wrong in his profile. Maybe a little bit of a smaller player, a uh, slot only player, um, but he had speed for days. Um, I think some, I just think some of the guys in front of him maybe presented a little bit more upside that, or at least I thought so, um, for where I had them ranked. So given where his career has gone, I don't really think wide receiver, wide receiver seven is a miss, but he's played really well at times. Um, could definitely see a boost going forward as well. If they figure out the quarterback situation or if he gets out of the dog holes or perhaps even moves on this off season. Right. So, um, I think there's a lot of avenues for him still to be a very good player. We've seen him flash as well i think last year obviously this year he's having the weird off-field stuff he asked for a trade so there's a good chance he could end up somewhere else by next year and be right back on that hit path yeah so with these two guys rashad bayman the reason why i'm saying that he's a miss or i put in my notes that it might have been a miss uh he just we just haven't capitalized yet and we won't so we're not going to go into year three and we're gonna say that he should hit it's kind of like uh he's kind of like this class is jerry judy where we love the talent, we love the tape, but it's like, how long are we going to hold on to his profile before we give up? Now, coming in, I thought he was going to be better than Marquise Brown. You know, I don't like stretch slot receivers that are small. So so I thought he'd overtake him. And I thought, you know, uh, dual threat quarterbacks don't keep their dual threat ability to a high level for longer. They either have to adjust to being throwing more or whatever. And I thought Lamar Jackson would be hitting that transition phase, which I do think he is trying to throw more. Uh, but I don't know. So now I'm questioning his quarterback play and I'm questioning whether he can get it done. It, it's similar to Jerry Judy's situation. And then Elijah Moore, I thought he was the perfect prospect. I mean, everything about his tape. I thought he was an elite technician. I thought he had really high level athletics, all that stuff. I just, you know, again, five foot nine and a half, but I'm telling myself it's okay. He's five ten. So, uh, I just thought he was the perfect player in every single facet of the game minus his height but now, like, the Jets are going through a weird transition phase. He put himself in the doghouse. So, like, I, I, I think his he needs to go somewhere else. He needs to leave the Jets, and then I'm, I'm probably back in. Yeah, I think that's probably his best avenue at recouping some value is to get away from the Jets. I mean, I guess last year, was it with Zach Wilson where he really kind of took off? And now they're saying that Zach Wilson is probably going to leave in this offseason. No, it was when Zach Wilson was gone. Oh, that's when he really took off. Yeah, it was like it was a four-game spin, and Zach Wilson was there. I think might have been for one, max of one, but it, it was like Joe Flacco and Mike White. Yeah. So. Yeah, but yeah, he's not even getting any playing time now for, with with a wide receiver core that could use some help outside of Garrett Wilson there being like the only guy there to really do anything right now. So, um, 
definitely needs to just get to a new place and, and recoup that value. Yeah. And then uh, this last one now we're going to talk about. The biggest elf in the room is, is Terrence Marshall. I had him as high as wide receiver three. You had him as wide receiver five at one point in time. Now, this this is where I learned that I really need to watch more tape, like straight mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Uh, because I was looking analytically, he was there. I loved that he was just as productive as um, Chase and Jefferson, who are phenomenal right now in the NFL. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, he's going to be a big slide. He's got great size. He's got great athletics. We saw him at the combine run a 4 3 9. Um, and uh, I, I'm just wrong, straight up wrong. Didn't watch this tape. I I just I just was like LSU. He's just as good as his his counterparts. It was lazy analysis, and I didn't put enough time into him. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't as high on him uh, early in the process, but he did keep creeping up my boards a little bit. I de- I definitely had the buzz get to me a little bit too uh, with this one, and, and the draft capital matched the buzz as well. So I guess some of it was warranted, but there was definitely red flags there. Like you said, when you watch the film, is where uh, there was some things analytically when you look at the box scores as well, but there were some things in the film as well. He didn't really break out until his senior season. Once Jamar chase opted out and the room got a little bit thinner. Um, he was schemed some pretty simple, like pitching catches from the slot. Um, so he was schemed a lot of these easy looks there. He also had a little bit of a drop problem as well in his last, I think he dropped like eight of 55 balls or something like that. If I remember correctly, yeah, the exact number, which I can't, I can't, I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but he, he had a little bit of a drop problem as well. So there were some signs there that we could have taken away that, but I just think that it was the projected upside with him. It was the size, the athleticism. He's going to get the opportunity with the high draft capital. And sometimes you're just going to miss on those guys. Sometimes it's worth taking the shot because you might find some uh, gem in the rough, but sometimes this is what's going to happen. And now we don't know what to do with this guy or where his value even is. All right, guys, this episode went on too long, (laughs) too long. Uh, It's going to be the new year by the time you guys hear us next. So it'll be a new year, new me. So I don't want to hear any more about this Crystal Lave stuff. All right, Todd. And like always, guys, if you do like the show, please review it, like it, uh, tell us about how great we are. If you don't like it, keep that to yourself. Now, next week, Corey and I will be going over bowl reactions. We're only talking about the Debbie-related bowls, and we're not going to talk about, man, I don't know, pick, pick your G5 bowls, okay? We're not going to talk about them. <laughs> I think Buffalo, Georgia Southern played today. We're not going to talk about those. Yeah. So, uh, which is exciting because there will be some breakouts during the bowls. There always are. Uh, Josh Downs broke out during his bowl. Marvin Harrison Jr. broke out during his bowl. Lorenzo Styles, who I'm not ready to give up on, broke out during his bowl. <laughs> There's always a handful of guys that uh, come out during their bowl game. So uh, we're excited to talk about that next week for you guys. And from Mike and from Corey, Good night and good luck.